0: Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We are broadcasting live on multiple platforms at the moment, trying to enjoy a good time. Uh, Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We normally broadcast on the Big Talker station out of 106.7 FM in Wilmington, North Carolina. And we're doing a little bit of an experiment today. I'm going to try to go live here on the nets with all of you. And uh, first, before I do, my name is Yael Ososki. I am uh, coming to you right now live from Vienna, Austria. Plenty of exciting things going on, but I'm most excited to be joined by my great and amazing co-host, Mr. David Clement, out there in Toronto, Ontario. Hello, David.
1: Hello, Yael. I hope you're, uh, you're doing well, staying safe, staying inside, and not going uh, stir-crazy like the rest of us.
0: No, 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 stir craziness here. I think uh, you know all is well, good here at the the Yael Ososki camp, the Ososki family camp. We're doing pretty well. Um, We are one of the countries, as I've mentioned before, that has opened up. Austria has opened up, so the stores are beginning to open. They're beginning to awaken from their terrible slumber um, that has been imposed upon us, and it's uh, looking a bit brighter. And the beautiful weather today. Why not?
1: Yeah, Uh, and maybe walk through what that looks like for some of our listeners, because for for a lot of our North American listeners, what you're about to describe is probably going to sound a little bit like paradise.
0: Yeah, so what we've had now in Austria, Austria has been able to flatten the curve. Um, we've had mm-hmm. shut down now for about one month, And starting on Tuesday, the day after Easter Monday, uh, there was the opening up of small shops under about 2,000 square feet, 400 square meters, and then also garden centers, things like Lowe's and Home Depot, um, obviously, but of the Austrian variety. And it's been interesting to see. I mean, there's definitely a lot more people walking around from what I can see. I haven't actually been to any of these shops. I have been to the grocery store and things as normal. Um, but I promised last week I'd get to the hardware store. I haven't been able to do it yet, you know? I need to. I I need a couple bolts to put in the wall, you know?
1: (laughs) Yes, you can get your building supplies for handyman Yael around the house. Now, now, again, all those, now all of those friend tasks friend. you've been procrastinating about, you've got to get around to
0: them. I know. And because I, I can't, you know, I've been too, uh, too much of a chicken to get it, you know, from, uh, from any of these hardware stores, I'm just going to have to order on Amazon. Now. Um, so there's, there's plenty of stuff to get to, um, David. Again, I mentioned this before. We are experimenting a little bit with this episode. Um, yep. This broadcast goes out on the radio out of an actual... FM station um, down in Wilmington, North Carolina, 106.7 FM. That's Saturdays at 10 o'clock Eastern in the morning. And then we also have our podcast that goes out on consumerchoiceradio.com. We wanted to try our hand at streaming, so we've got this on all platforms right now. Let's see, Twitter, Periscope, Facebook. Um, We've got YouTube as well. Um, Even Twitch, we've got got that uh, clicked in. So trying something out, seeing how interesting it would be if... if, uh, who knows? Uh, maybe we can get more people involved and figure out how this Internet stuff worked. I mean, look, we're stuck indoors, so why not uh, experiment and make sure that people can, can get more access to awesome consumer choice information everywhere we are?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So before we uh, get into the big—so um, in case you don't know, we don't use the C word on this program, um, C virus— uh there there is a lot there are a lot of algorithms out there that will cut you down if you use this so we've decided to replace it with the Carol Baskin virus yes so if you do hear us uh you know mention that please do stay alarmed we're not insane we're not crazy but uh we're just trying to avoid getting censored and downvoted and demonetized and everything else on all channels um so before we get into too much of the carol baskin virus there's a lot of great clips that uh, david has sent me i mean i'm super impressed we've been doing this now for a couple months david has come to the table with some nice clean edited clips i love it
1: yes yes hopefully hopefully the listeners love them too did my best all I'll right. So, best.
0: David, why don't you uh, go ahead and uh, put one on the tee for us? Uh, what, what, what should we dive into here? Because I want you to start. I want you to feel proud, dust off those typing fingers, and tell me which one that we're going to play.
1: Let's go, let's go with Bill Maher, because Bill Maher created quite a stir uh, with his five-or-so-minute rant um, about the Carol Baskin virus and Chinese wet markets. Um, so we we, uh, we narrowed that down to about a minute or so. Uh, we wanna play that and obviously discuss about some of the things he's talking about in this uh, quite legendary clip.
2: It's not racist to point out that eating bats is batshit crazy. In 2007, researchers at the University of Hong Kong wrote, the presence of a large reservoir of SARS-CoV like viruses in horseshoe bats, together with the culture of eating exotic animals in southern China, is a time bomb. Dr. Fauci says we should force a global closure of the wet markets because the current crisis is a, quote, direct result of them. On Monday, the UN's acting head of biodiversity said the same thing. So when someone says, what if people hear Chinese virus and blame China, The answer is we should blame China. Not Chinese Americans. But we can't stop telling the truth because racists get the wrong idea. There are always going to be idiots out there who want to indulge their prejudices. But this is an emergency. Don't we have bigger, tainted fish to fry? Jesus, if the sun was exploding, Twitter would pile on the first guy who called it a dwarf star. Sorry, Americans. We're going to have to ask you to keep two ideas in your head at the same time. This has nothing to do with Asian-Americans, and it has everything to do with China.
0: China. I love that. Look at Bill Maher. He comes around every now and
2: and
0: then. Yeah. He comes around every every, now and then.
1: Every once in a while, he he throws some punches that stick. And I think that that was a pretty good one. I mean, the full context of the clip, for those who are listening who maybe haven't seen it, is he's talking about the wet markets and the concept of having all of these different types of animals in the same place and just the the, the chances of various viruses coming from these places and saying that it's okay to be critical of, of these practices and there's nothing bigoted or, or racist of, of making those statements, um, despite what some of his fellow lefties may, may think. Um, so I, I really liked it. I mean I think he highlights the paternalistic aspect a little bit there of that viewpoint that you, that we can't be critical of, of let's say uh, the, the cultural practice of eating bats um, and, and saying that it's really quite simple to just differentiate that from, um, from obviously Chinese people. Um, so yeah, I loved it. I thought it was I thought he hit the nail on the head there. Uh, in terms of parsing the middle ground um, between between those who maybe have unsavory opinions about Asian Americans, um, who are obviously wrong, and uh, and the, the people on the other side, um, on the, the far other side of this, who think that just simply criticizing wet markets is somehow bigoted or racist or something along those lines. So I really loved it.
0: Yeah, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, You can go back and listen to consumerchoiceradio.com. We've had a couple of that. Just the journalists who were there at the White House press briefing asking Trump about this. Like, why do you keep saying Chinese virus? And he said very simply, because it came from China. China. Okay,
1: It's a strange world out there. China. I mean, he may be – this may just be part of like a distraction or a diversion tool – uh, and there's certainly some good conversations that can be had on that front, um, but at the same time, I mean, it's not really that outrageous for him to be talking about where the virus came from. We know where it came from. Uh, I think the, the the idea that we can't talk about where it came from or how it developed, which is an ongoing debate, um, is is silly. And so, uh, it's nice to see nice to see Bill Maher. Um, kind of carry the flag on the lefty side of politics for some uh, some sanity and reason in this conversation
0: yeah and and uh, obviously I've been a huge fan of Bill Maher for a long time I mean since I was probably geez, 12 years old like one of my first yeah. favorite comedians someone who's able to blend together politics and comedy and did so in a great way he's kind of yeah. uh, gone a bit insane the last couple of years I mean he even dropped a million on Obama come on He didn't need any money. I mean, he got plenty of billions of dollars, didn't need an additional million from you, but okay, that's another topic. Um, Let's look at some headlines here, a couple of articles that we noticed throughout the week. Um, I've been keeping uh, an eye on David's Twitter feed. This is the problem, David, when we have too much of a hive mind. I think we, we, uh, we spend too much of the week talking together, so we end up following a lot of the same news <laughs>
1: yes yeah <laughs> and that, we see the same headlines
0: yeah and that's a bit problematic i think the twitter algorithm is working against us now it's trying to make sure we don't have a, a diverse uh consumer choice radio program um but there have been a couple things that i've seen there's an interesting article from vice uh, we talked about this a little bit last week um, these 30 regimes are using coronavirus to repress their citizens Dog cages, crackdowns, censorship, surveillance, expanded police powers, authoritarians are having a moment. Um, So they talk about examples in China, Russia, Belarus, Venezuela, Cambodia, the Philippines, Uganda, Poland, Ghana, Thailand, Chile. I mean, so many examples. It goes from... Don't forget Hungary. Yeah, Hungary as well. I mean, um, even um, Serbia as well. Um, That one has been very interesting because China has a huge sort of a uh, foothold in Serbia, uh, Serbia, one of my favorite places, of course. And apparently the prime minister approved a decree that gave the government total control over information. What does that even mean?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a scary thing. And we're starting to see some of that debate creep into discourse here in North America, because I know that the in Canada, at least the federal liberals, liberals have kicked the tires on Potentially, some sort of disinformation uh, or misinformation bill, where the government, rather than just the platforms, I mean, these private platforms are um, are editing or or uh, monitoring what is being said about the Karabaskan virus, uh, and just trying to do their due diligence to ensure that false information isn't getting out there. And I can we we kind of see that happening in real time. Um, But the government is now threatening to essentially do the same and attach some sort of criminal penalty to it. So it it does um, it does raise some red flags for those who care about free speech and free expression, because, I mean, anyone who's ever had an opinion about anything knows that um, there's a very fine line between purposely spreading disinformation and just being wrong. Um, and you don't want to criminalize people just being wrong. That's not, uh, sure. that's antithetical to the societies that we want to live in, in terms of um, allowing or protecting free speech, whether it's constitutionally in Canada, the United States, or even internationally in terms of UN human rights. So um, scary times, scary times. As our as our pal Bernie Sanders would say, it is a strange world out there. It's a strange world out there.
0: No doubt. And uh, with... Bernie Sanders, you you mentioned him. I don't know if you want to jump right into the political stuff just yet. I got one or two more links on this, but we'll get back to uh, Bernie Sanders and Bo Jiden and um, yep. what's happening there. Um, yeah. Here, Here's another link that'll kind of—this one will make it cringe a bit. This is from the San Francisco Chronicle, um, our, mm-hmm. our good friends in California. IA. San Francisco mayor caps Uber, Postmates, DoorDash delivery commissions. As struggling San Francisco restaurants pin their hopes on staying open on delivery and takeout orders, city officials have stepped in to lower the commission's charged by the makers of apps like Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, Caviar, and Postmates. Typically, these companies charge commissions that range from 10% to 30% in an order. On Friday, Mayor London Breed announced a temporary cap of 15% on commissions. The cap will remain in effect for the duration of the local state of emergency or until restaurants are able to open again for dine in service. There you go, Ban Francisco. There's yet another <laughs> tally in your corner for why you're the greatest city in the world for getting screwed.
1: Yeah, like it's so they, they passed that contractor law statewide.
0: Yes, AB5, uh, yeah, statewide, he- California
1: huge mistakes really limits the viability of being a deliver a delivery driver um, or an Uber driver for people or a delivery driver for things like DoorDash and GrubHub and whatnot then not only do they do that you now have local ordinance cracking down on how much these people can make i mean i think the san francisco city council or, or Legislators, or however we refer to them, need to give their head a shake and realize that these people are first responders in many sense. They're essential services because they're delivering things that people need. Um, why is it an issue for them to be able to make more money? I mean, this is, this is insane. Um, well, and, by and limiting, also,
0: it doesn't cost you... nothing to put the technology together to do the tracking, to set up the order, to connect all the credit cards. I mean, it does; it's not free to do this stuff.
1: Of course not. And everyone's doing it voluntarily and willingly. And people are providing the service of actually getting food to your door. And all this does is make it harder for them to do it, and make it less attractive for restaurants to actually participate in this new kind of temporary economy of of consistent food delivery. Um, and so while other jurisdictions are basically freeing up their economies and, and making it more open and more competitive and uh, more consumer-centric in light of the pandemic, San Francisco is going the other way. Uh, and it's just, it's, I mean, the consequences are obviously going to be pretty clear. It's just going to be harder for for these businesses to stay in business, which nobody wins.
0: The consequences uh, will never be the same. And Yeah, yeah and th- there's a, a lot that we could cover on this. There's just so many bad laws that are being passed on this. Um, I decided to weigh in. I put my toe in the water a bit. Uh, there's an article that I wrote uh, that was published out in Waco, Texas, for the moment, is being syndicated, um, so that's going out. But essentially the the argument that I was just kind of making is that everyone's criticizing Trump, for wanting to open up the economy. You say, oh, you're trying to kill people, and, you know, this whole terrible thing. Mm -hmm. carol Baskin's Mm -hmm. virus, everybody's, you know, cranking up all their political rhetoric to the nth degree. Um, the, The only point I made is like, look, a lot of people are stuck at home, not able to work, and situations vary between states, between cities, between situations. I think we can lift these like universal lockdowns and added to that you can do it in a smart way to actually save lives require people to wear masks let's do the social distancing let's keep that up a lot of people probably love that (laughs) social distancing not having to interact too much in public keep that up if people want to wear the mask be sure we have all the PPE let's make sure our hospitals have all the resources they need but we don't need to shut down every job and every position and uh, i mean well, this is the, here's the kind the, of crazy here's thing. the
1: thing that the critics don't and i mean i'm no trump supporter but we do have to look at it this way there are some businesses that remain open through the crisis so a grocery store for example how are grocery stores staying open well they're limiting the amount of people in the store at a the time they have very strict social distancing rules in many instances some are actually Making you use hand sanitizer when you get there, encouraging you to wear masks, all very smart things in terms of limiting exposure to the virus. Now, what if we applied those same rules to other businesses that aren't providing food? Could they stay open? Could they not go bankrupt? Could people still have a job? Um, if you can establish that you can do those things without drastically increasing um risk, then I think we, you have to give it a shot because we've established that we can run grocery stores uh, in ways that are responsible. So we have to be able to run some other businesses in in ways that are responsible. And that doesn't mean we should just like rip off the bandaid and the casinos are going to be open and the clubs are going to be open and we're going to have nineteen twenty thousand 20,000 people at a baseball game. Like All of that is going to take time. That's not what reopening the economy looks like, but I think we can apply some best practices and some standards from these essential businesses to what was deemed non-essential um, and and allow for some of these business owners to, to open up shop and some of these employees to get back to work, um, which obviously not only has benefits in terms of the economic arguments, and I think that those are certainly important, but talk about the mental health benefits of being able to actually do something. Uh, oh, you're yeah. sitting at home, you're furloughed, you're waiting for your government check in the mail, the bills are piling up, you're trying to negotiate with, let's say you have a mortgage with the bank for deferrals, there are interest rates, all of these things are compounding on top of each other. And so if there is any way where we can empower people to dig themselves out of that, I think that's a positive. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that, the United States and Canada, when they get around to it, can follow the lead of countries like uh, like Austria, who are starting this slow roll of businesses being allowed to to reopen.
0: Yeah. And, and the status quo right now in the United States is you've got over 16 million people who filed for unemployment. As far as we know, uh, these are the, just the latest numbers. Um, yeah. And, that, and that's just, you know, in the last month. And most uh, models are saying that we might have as high as 20% unemployment by summer. Um, yeah. It's just crazy. And, and especially if you actually look at the numbers and you look at the different states, I mean, because that's really what this is about. It's about federalism. It's about what are certain states doing. I mean, you have a good number of states, uh, About let's say, tw- I think 19 of them, actually a third of the country almost, they have less than 100 fatalities. Very tragic. Yeah. none of those lives should have been lost but you can't shut down an entire state's economy when you don't have the scale of new york city or milan or wuhan china and you know a lot of people are going to suffer this is um you know this is just a point that we're bringing up not an original point so i wanted to bring on a uh, perhaps future friend of the show uh, to make that point for us david are you open to that
1: Sure, yeah, let's hear it.
0: So this is Bjorn Lomborg, Danish political scientist, uh, and he's being interviewed on 60 Minutes Australia, which is like one of my favorite programs on YouTube. It is amazing. Let's listen to what he says.
3: At some point, there is a tipping point. At some point, we actually need to say, this is enough. If we go further, we're actually going to damage the economy more than the few extra people we're going to save. This makes people feel very, very uncomfortable because you feel like we should save everyone. But we never do. In a society,
4: we always make trade-offs. So, global warming is real, and it's a problem. Danish political scientist Dr Bjorn Lomborg is a globally recognised economist and big thinker who's turned his expertise to the coronavirus conundrum.
3: You know, in Australia, the speed limit is 110 kilometres an hour. If you want to save everyone who dies in traffic, you should just take it down to five kilometres an hour. Nobody would die. But, of course, the point is, you don't want to do that because it also has huge social ramifications. We should do a lot for corona, but we shouldn't do everything, just like we should have speed limits, but we shouldn't have speed limits down to five kilometres an
4: hour. Dr Lomborg reckons... Going too hard on lockdown is a strategy that will come back to bite us in the long run. The middle ground, he believes, means opening society up and accepting more coronavirus deaths in the short term.
3: When you close down uh, primary and secondary schools, when you close down jobs, are you actually creating more damage, more long-term death, more long-term unemployment and unpleasantness for the whole population compared to what you're achieving in saved lives.
4: I mean, we in Australia are just taking the policy decisions on the chin so far, but that's it, isn't it? How far do we go? And how do we sensitively strike that balance between saving lives and crippling the entire economy?
3: So, I think a lot of people want to do a lot of good for the coronavirus, and so they're willing to say, look, I'm, I'm going to take, uh, take it on the chin, as you say, Ask yourself this. Do you think the same people, when they finally get out uh, from, from this lockdown and see the devastation of their economies, then being asked, when the second wave comes around, and say, I'm sorry, could you do it all over again, and then a third time? Remember, we'll have to keep open, close, open, close, open, close, all the way till we get a vaccine. And so we need to ask ourselves, how much is too much? it's not clear what that answer is but we need to have that conversation oh
0: that's great and that's uh danish political scientist bjorn lomborg who's speaking to 60 minutes australia it always helps to have an australian voice at some point in the in the <laughs> program
1: <laughs> i mean and the thing i love about bjorn i mean i have my own biases because he was i think i was maybe grade 11 um when i read one of his first books but he essentially is like the ultimate cost-benefit analysis guy. And that comes across as really cold sometimes. But he just looks at every problem and says, okay, what can we do? What's it going to solve? Is there a better way? How do we actually manage this? And the crazy part is, is that, and, and I think this is maybe what the the interviewer um, failed to hint at, which I, I I would have loved, is that there are examples of economies that haven't, had to go under full shutdown where they're managing um, to keep exposure to a minimum and managing obviously to keep deaths at a minimum, which is extremely important. Um, So it's always great to have an alternative view like that presented and someone who basically looks at the numbers and says, okay, well, there is a point where it isn't gonna be worth the cost. Uh, Are we there yet? Are we not there yet? What other alternatives can we do? Um, so always always love hearing Bjorn. Maybe one day we'll have him on the show, and then we can rightfully call him a friend of the show. Yeah,
0: future friend, future friend of the show. Future friend of the show. So we, we've sent him a friend request. We'll see what yes. happens. <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, great example there. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, this is broadcasting right now all out on the streams, whether it be Periscope or, uh, let's see, we got Facebook, we've got Twitch, we got YouTube, and we broadcast this on the radio Saturdays on the Big Talker, 1067 FM, bigtalkerfm.com. Uh, you can find all of our show notes and everything on, the, on our website, so we're not just a uh, plucking things out of the air. We promise this is the real stuff. Uh, This is a program that is presented by the Consumer Choice Center, of which David and I are both a part, and we've been uh, working with our colleagues to stay busy, to stay very, very productive during this time. Plenty of articles being published, plenty of meetings, uh, plenty of things that we're trying to do to continue pushing for consumer choice. I mean, the the battle doesn't end here. I know, David, you've been pretty busy, and you've got um, a couple podcast appearances coming up. You've been uh, sitting on some government committees. I mean, you're, you're a busy boy up there in uh, good old Canada, aren't <laughs> you?
1: Trying to be, yes. Trying to
0: be. Yes, well. Um, and since we're, you know, discussing Canada a little bit, you know, we always like to bring in a Canadian example or two, just because it's an interesting place. Uh, there's fairly similar government and there's at least some things that sometimes you can learn. And I guess you have another clip that you wanted to present us uh, coming from Alberta this time.
1: Yes, yes, so I'll, I'll tee this up Um, This has to do with the approval process for medicines. And uh, this clip is about Jason Kenney, who is the premier of Alberta. Uh, For our American listeners, this is kind of like Canada's Texas, uh, resource-heavy, very conservative-leaning province. Um, And so we'll get Jamie to play the clip here uh, of Jason Kenney talking about cures and vaccines.
0: Another big story out of Alberta today, the Premier Jason Kenney threatening to circumvent the federal government and the federal approvals process in order to access... Threatening. I love that word. ...tests (laughs) and treatment for COVID-19. Products require approval from Health Canada, the tests and various treatments, but Jason Kenney told Vashi Capellos on Power and Politics yesterday he will not wait to use them if they've been approved by certain other countries
2: direction I've given our officials is that if we see a, a highly credible uh, regulator of medications in a peer jurisdiction like the European Union, Australia or the United States, that has approved a test um, or a vaccine or, or medication, we should pursue that. We should not wait for Health Canada to catch up.
0: Oh, nice, 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 Jason Kenney. Look at yeah, that.
2: I mean... It's a
1: great, great concept here, and he actually got backlash over it, which I thought was just astounding, as if the Australians are going to be cooking up all of these fake meds that, are, that aren't that are going to work. Well, that's it's what
0: like, the Aussies do. They like to do all these fake tests, make sure we get all the yeah. garbage here. I'm sorry. I think it was the Chinese that have these bogus tests that they were giving to places like Spain and the Czech Republic. It was not our peer jurisdictions, as Jason Kenny said. So great point. And-
1: And people are coming out to say that Jason Kennedy is wrong and that we can't circumvent Health Canada. And it's built on this incredibly nativist idea that Health Canada is is the only government body capable of actually investigating cures or vaccines, not the British. No, they're, they're not above above bar, not the Americans or the Australians or the Kiwis or the Europeans. It's only Canada who can investigate and approve these medicines, which is just such a silly um it's just such a silly mindset. And we know, not yet, but we know that if we take that mindset to its end, that the cost is just human lives. Because it means that we got to wait for the bureaucracy here in Canada to approve various medicines, and that is that seems like the ex, the exact opposite of what regulators should be doing in a global pandemic. Um, and so kudos to Jason Kenny for having the guts to uh, to exercise some prov- provincial uh, authority on this uh, and propose to just green light medicines from peer countries. I think that's a great move.
3: Welcome to Thunderdome.
0: Yeah, and I think this is exactly what we need. Everyone's talking about uh, clamping down on globalization, you know, once all this subsides. But here's an example for where it can actually work. If you have peer jurisdictions, you have liberal democracies that have very good functioning markets, they have great scientists and universities, and they're able to put together great vaccines or products or medicines, you should be able to have them approved in your country. You don't necessarily need to line up your own bureaucrats in order to do that. Uh, that's a it's a big issue. Um, thankfully, we we have been able to cover this, and you know it's something that we're advocating for more and more. You'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. Um, we do have some listeners on the live stream, so a shout out to to Jim Yong, who's over there in South Korea. Magnus, I think he's in Iceland. Who knows? Yes. Uh, but we'll get uh, we'll get more shout outs if you're listening. Um, you know, send us a message wherever it is, and we'll, we'll give you a shout out there. A couple more yeah. clips um, to look at here, and um, before we do that, though. Let's look at some some of the great media hits from our colleagues, David. There's a couple others that we already covered. One of my yeah. articles, um, you've got some, what else do you have going on right now? I know you've got a couple submissions that you're working on, a couple of committees. Tell us a little bit more about that, by the way.
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, a couple of them have been paused. We're still participating. One is um, under the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, um, so working to streamline provincial regulations so that it's easier to do business nationally here in Canada, um, so we are on the basically the committee who submits um, regulations to be reviewed, um, so looking forward to that. Um, once things get back to somewhat normal, um, I'll be testifying um, with the Attorney General's Office in Ontario uh, about a legal fo- reform proposal uh, to allow for e-notarization uh, for legal documents, um, which couldn't come at a better time uh, because if ever there was a time to fast track that and to kind of modernize the authorization process in the legal system, it's now. Uh, and and this pandemic has kind of highlighted that. Um, it seems silly that you would still have to actually go into a legal office to physically sign something when you can – with various verifications and checks, we do do all of that online. Yeah, I've done
0: that a couple of times, just use, like, a website. I pay $11, and I can get something e-notarized. Like, it's pretty yep. awesome. Exactly. Cool. cool, cool. Exactly.
1: So those are two big projects. Um, outside of that, in Canada, it's now mostly the um, the positive ramifications of allowing for Um, the cannabis industry to stay open for delivery and e-commerce orders Um, so that's been a huge plus we got a lot of great coverage with that uh, because we were obviously quite vocal on saying that the government doesn't need to shut down the industry completely they could limit exposure and allow for curbside pickup and uh, retail delivery and they did um, agree to do so so uh, we're just seeing that the positive ramifications of that, where retailers are really ramping up their um, their delivery capabilities, uh, it means that people don't have to take that extra trip out. So positives all around. Um, really, uh, really happy with how that's going.
0: Great, yeah, and the, you know, there's there's been so much that has been published on. The work that we were able to put together on not just cannabis delivery, as David mentioned, also alcohol delivery, perhaps opening up of some uh, state monopolies on liquor, beer, and all the rest. And plenty of jurisdictions, yep. so much more work to do. Um, I wanted to highlight a couple of media hits, though, from our colleagues. Um, looks like our buddy, our boy, um, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, Bill Viets, got into the yep. Financial Times. It's a big he deal did. there. Big deal there.
1: Uh, what's it's a very huge deal. Uh, what's the this headline? Huge deal? I...
0: Coronavirus after the lockdown. We'll put this in the show notes as well, consumerchoiceradio.com. Yes. Um, so this is about the mobile apps that we're going to start using for this uh, contact tracing everywhere. And Bill had some, some privacy concerns and talking about how it should be open source and all the rest. And um, he says, if tracking of individual movement is on the table, then that is unlikely to be in line with existing privacy laws, even in a crisis, says Fiatz. So he's got a, yep. a couple other points there, but awesome, good on you, Bill. Even in FT China, this boy was.
1: Yep, yep. Um, and for our North American listeners who may not know what the relevance there is, that's kind of like being—it's like being quoted in the Wall Street Journal um, or the New York Times. I would say more so than the Wall Street Journal. It's like the hedge
0: fund um, Wall Street Journal for like global cabal bankers.
1: Yeah, it's it's the it's the biggest. Um, I think, I'd say it's one of the most reputable newspapers internationally, no doubt. Um, so good, good for Bill. Good, um, good
0: on us. Yeah, and then uh, another one is our uh, managing director Fred Holda, was on TRT World, did an interview uh-huh. about COVID, about uh, comparing um, everything that's happening with the World Health Organization, talking about the NHS and the German healthcare. So some pretty good insights there. That's all linked on our website. So you'll be able to see that. Um, Yeah, there's some pretty good hits, uh, some stuff in German as well. I mean, things are rocking and rolling here. We don't stay quiet. We don't stay downed. We might be quarantined, but the work goes on.
1: Yes, yes, we are still busy. Still busy.
0: Speaking of someone who's busy.
3: I am once again asking for your financial support.
0: Seems as if Bernie Sanders is now knocked off his feet. Looks like he's going to be hanging up the hat. He's done. He threw in for old Joe, and uh, he's not the only one. All the politicians now are coalescing around your boy, Joe Biden, who's going to be the next apparently the presumed Democratic nominee. Who knows if they're actually going to have a, a convention at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's over. Um, I think it's so. What is so striking about this endorsement is that when other people endorsed Joe Biden, when Beto did, when uh, when Andrew yang did, um, when Tulsi did, everyone raked those candidates or the Bernie Bros raked those candidates over the coals for not being pure enough and for selling out uh, to the establishment here of progressive darling uh, Bernie Sanders doing the exact same thing. and even worse, doing it like the day after. The sexual uh, misconduct allegations against Joe really went public, um, and so it's what a terrible like what a terrible look for everyone on the Bernie side of the Democratic Party because you have you had people who were super critical of others for doing uh, what their wokester in chief did himself, and then he did it at the worst time. Um, now as as the, these allegations are coming to light and, and his candidacy becomes more and more complicated. Um, so yeah, not a, not a great time, um, for the Dems, uh, despite the fact that they now have a nominee, uh, it's still a lot more complicated.
0: No doubt. This is, um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange strange world out there, as we often say. It's
1: a strange world
0: out there. So, uh, yeah, good shout-outs here on the live stream as well. Um, Joe Catanacci out in Wilmington. Hello, sir. Thanks for listening along. Oh, Joe. Hey, Joe. Um, a true friend of the show. A right. true
1: friend of the show. The
0: original friend of the show. Uh, thanks yes. for listening along and uh, sharing us on the Big Talker Facebook page as well. So um, some of the listeners of the radio program on Saturday are getting a sneak peek as to what's coming their way. Very cool to oh, see. Beautiful. Yeah, we've got um, one more clip, David, um, that's lined up here. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left in the program. We're in the yep. uh, quarter bottom of the hour. Looking at bailouts, um, this is discussed a little bit. I think we talked about this probably the last two shows. Uh, we have this entire Recovered program. Some people have already gotten their Trump bucks in the mail. Um, a number of my friends have been posting, which is totally dumb, by the way. Do not take a screenshot of your bank account. Where everybody no. can see your numbers? <laughs> like, <laughs> guys, don't do this. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: The the, uh, the people who steal identities are just licking their chops right now. <laughs> it's, like,
0: it's like the guys who steal phones and, like, take pictures of themselves and post it on Facebook. It's like, come on, guys, don't do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of people have been getting their Trump bucks. You are getting, you know, a good amount of people who are being able to profit from getting some of these loans. And it's not just people, but companies. And uh, what is being discussed is yet another injection into the airline industry, which is not dormant, by the way. They still are flying flights if you look at the flight tracker and stuff. But, you know, many airlines such as Austrian Airlines, many European ones are totally grounded. Um, But they already received $50 billion, our uh, U.S. airlines did, and now they're coming back to the table for more. And uh, thankfully, David, you have a clip that just plays into this and kind of shocks us a bit, but damn, it's true.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's get Jamie to run that one.
0: All right, Jamie, uh, can you go ahead and pull up that clip, sir? Jamie. Jamie. I don't know what he's... I think he's asleep.
5: <laughs> um, but are, are you suggesting... You keep saying propping up zombie companies. Are, are, you, are you arguing to let airlines, for example, fail? Yes. Yeah. Why? I mean... Ha- How does that make sense in the broader scheme of of the economy? Because
6: it's not because when you look at what it means, this is why I'm saying like this is a lie that's been purported by Wall Street. When a company fails, it does not fire their employees. It goes through a packaged bankruptcy. Right. If anything, what happens is the people who have the pensions inside those companies, the employees of these companies end up owning more of the company. The people that get wiped out are the speculators that own the unsecured tranches of debt, or the folks that own the equity, and by the way, those are the rules of the game. That's right, because these are the people that purport to be the most sophisticated investors in the world. They deserve to get wiped out, but the employees don't get wiped out. The pensions don't typically get wiped out. Why does anybody des- I just understand Why it. does anybody
5: deserve using your word to get wiped out from a, a, a crisis created
6: like, like this? How does anybody deserve to get wiped don't. out? Well, but, but just be clear, like, who are we talking about? We're talking about a hedge fund that serves a bunch of billionaire family offices? Who cares? Let them get wiped out. Who cares? If they don't get the summer in the Hamptons? Who cares? Who
5: cares? I mean, there are people. You, you, you don't if think you the employees, employees of these companies table. own stocks? I mean, own their stocks, that- own the company's stocks?
6: You can, you can look on Bloomberg and you can see what percentage of these companies are typically owned by... These, these things are owned by BlackRock. These things are owned by these huge, you know, amorphous organizations, ultimately downstream. And the employee owns a few hundred dollars or a few thousand, thousand dollars of shares. Well, I just don't understand so this point point is, like, is a, a, could, like a natural disaster.
5: And why does anybody deserve to get wiped out? Wouldn't that be immoral in and of itself?
6: No, because what's happening right now is what I'll tell you is on Main Street today people are getting wiped out. And right now, rich CEOs are not. Boards that had horrible governance are not. Hedge funds are not. People are. Six million people just this week alone basically saying, holy mackerel, I don't know how I'm going to make pay, you know my own expenses for the next few weeks, days, months. So it's happening today to individual Americans. And what we've done is disproportionately prop up and protect you know, poor performing CEOs, companies and boards. And you have to wash these people out.
0: Got to wash them out,
1: David. Wash them out. What a strange horseshoe where progressives and libertarians can unite and say, no, no corporate welfare, no corporate bailouts. Um, I mean, he I, I, I love just like the dumbfoundedness of the, the host in that where he's like, but Why? Like he, he, had, it was like he had never heard the argument made, um, for the other side <laughs> ever. Um, yeah, But my Wall Street so yeah. friends have
0: never said that. Come on.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, love that clip just because it pushes back against the concept that we just have to keep pumping money into things. And um, I, I know I've, I've deferred to him in many instances. Uh, Justin Amash, Congress U.S. Congressman. Possible candidate for president, who knows, uh, maybe launching a bid. He's kicking the tires uh, on that. Um, has always said the best route here is to send cash to people, uh, not have it filter through uh, businesses, and then make regulatory changes uh, once things get back to normal to allow for these companies to be profitable again. And I know that you've written about this. Um, a bit in in terms of the airline industry. So, like, what are some of those things that that uh, that the government could do to help make these these airline companies profitable once people fly again?
0: Well, definitely look at those airline taxes. A lot of the taxes that uh, the airlines are are basically forced to put on passengers because of government rules and regulations. I mean, we still pay a September 11th security fee, mind you, to pay for TSA and all this stuff. And basically every other country in the world, um, you know, does very well by just having private security that is uh, contracted by the airport. And they're held accountable to that. It's not a huge bureaucracy. You don't have systematic discrimination as you've had in the TSA, and there's been a lot of lawsuits about that because it's true and it does happen. But look, this is—that's um, one thing you can do maybe it would be okay to allow some bankruptcies thing things to go forward you can actually have some good entrepreneurs who like to take over things i know we have that in, in austria the the former f1 driver Niki lauda you know there's a couple of bankrupt airlines and he just like went shopping tried them out yeah. for a couple of years retooled them some of them work some of them don't and mm-hmm. you know he provided us with uh, pretty good and cheap airline tickets in the meantime You know, this is not, you can't have an industry, it doesn't matter what it is, you can't have one that's just reliant upon going and trying to get bailouts every couple of years. And that is, we're talking about banks as much as we're talking about anything else. So yeah, you're right. This is where uh, progressives and libertarians are joining hands finally, once again, after many years of being held apart artificially, uh, we're able to come together and sing kumbaya together.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. 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 And yep. uh, so it's, a, it's yeah. a
0: good change to see. And, um, you know, it's, it's something else to cover and to investigate. And this is where consumers effectively are going to pay the price. If we're going to have bailouts, not only are you going to be charged higher taxes to pay for it, but then you're going to have higher ticket costs at the end of the day. So then you're just hit yeah. twice. And that's not what we need at all. We need to have much more competition. We need to apply the rules of rigor, apply the rules of the market. If you're not able to make yep. it, I'm sorry. Um, right now, when you have COVID, that is a force majeure situation. So, mm-hmm. yes, it is cool. You can have loan programs, and most small businesses do need this right now. I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that, but to Justin Amash's point, direct cash payments to the people might have been a, a better way of doing it. I mean, the people who divided it up, you know, did the math. It's like, okay, so essentially, what is it, 1200 bucks for every person, but then the whole thing actually would equal like 6000 if we if we just gave it away to people. I don't know yeah it's, it's crazy like,
1: it's like six or seven thousand a month per family um for three months if you took the totality of what was spent and just divided it by people, um which I think would have been a much that that would probably do a much better job of ensuring that thing that bills are paid that mortgages are paid. That rent is paid, that you can afford food, that you can make your payments on on whatever else is going on, so that you don't have this ballooning. So, like with what we've done now, we have a ballooning of federal debt, and that's bad. Uh, future generations are going to pay for that, or you're going to have to deal with inflation, all sorts of problems with that. Uh, the uh, the flip side is without cash tra- cash transfers to individuals or larger cash transfers to individuals, you have ballooning consumer debt. And so you have people racking up huge, huge,
0: huge consumer debt, no doubt. Yeah, I'm seeing that. You're just cutting out of it, David. So thanks, Skype.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Skype. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to have consequences um, on the consumer side. And that is going to be really tough to dig, to, to have people dig themselves out of. So the, the hope on the cash transfer side would be that if you can get people to cover their bills, get people to be able to pay for food, um, they can at least come through this without mountains of, of personal debt. Now, that's not the case right now. Um, debt is going to really, really go up on the individual side as well as the federal government side. Um, so it's almost like we're getting the, the worst of both worlds. Because you'd be in jail.
0: David, I want to throw a surprise clip your way. Um, I was okay. not. I, I actually was doing this a bit in the background when we started. Um, this is breaking. You heard it here first, everybody. Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, we have a huge endorsement for Bo Jiden. Bo Jiden, who uh, will, is lining up to be the next Democratic nominee. Did you see the latest endorsement?
4: Uh, it depends which one you're talking All about. Right, Maybe here we go. You keep our economy running and everyone who's making their own sacrifice, at home with their families, all for the greater good. Greater good? If there's one thing we've learned as a country from moments of great crisis, it's that the spirit of looking out for one another can't be restricted to our homes, or our workplaces, or our neighborhoods, or our houses of worship. It also has to be reflected in our national government. The kind of leadership that's guided by knowledge and experience honesty and humility, empathy and grace, that kind of leadership doesn't just belong in our state capitals and mayor's offices, it belongs in the White House. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States.
3: Welcome to Thunderdome.
0: It's begun. Obama came out and he's endorsed his boy, Joe Biden.
1: Do you think this would—like, does this really have any impact? I mean, not because Obama doesn't have impact, but I assume most Americans are looking at that and going, well, duh. Like, of course.
0: I think it's too little, too late. I don't understand what he's been doing. And, you know, I we did not take part in this prognostication because we're not really horse trade guys in the political realm. But sincerely— yeah. Why didn't he do this for Joe Biden months ago? I mean, there are so many questions that are being asked, terrible policies, and Obama's just like sitting on the sidelines and just waits for the Democrats to slaughter each other to come out, whereas really his word, I I don't know, there are two takes you can have on this. Either it's that he would have been the deal maker, the kingmaker, he could have basically crowned whoever the the next choice was going to be, or it would be toxic... Because as he stated in, in some other interviews, and I think he said it later in this, you know, he could not be elected today. He's too old school uh, or not even old school, but too moderate left to kind of get by today is is whatever I'm saying. So I don't know. It's kind of those are my two views on the Obama thing. It, I think he speaks to the a lot of people who just love to be calmed by somebody who's a politician. I don't necessarily have that well, uh, need, but a lot of people have yeah. that.
1: Yeah. And Obama has, I mean, he has, he, neither you or, or I are, uh, were or are big fans of the Obama administration, but he is a man of better character and he carries himself with that presidential, um, I don't even know what word I'm looking for. Panache. That, but, but, <laughs> yeah, either. there you go. He's, he just has that quality about him. Uh, which I think is refreshing in the context. of Yeah, Make- news Reels during press conferences. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's one of those things. Like, why didn't he? You raise a very good point. Why didn't he do this when Joe was in trouble?
0: Yeah, and it's not. Like- be- it's not because like Joe was like a skilled manipulator of the political process. It's mostly that. You know, everyone else just kinda of fell by the wayside and then coronavirus—I'm uh, sorry, Carol Baskin's virus came out of nowhere and essentially shut this down. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Um, you know, it was good to see the, the old president there. I think he was wearing a tan suit in the video. So uh yes. good to see he's finally able to let loose without uh you know, yeah. media backlashes and stuff. Remember
1: remember the glory days when Obama wearing a tan suit was like a two day scandal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Oh, oh how I, times I, I have pro- changed. I probably said something about that back in the day. I don't know. It's like mostly... So you were anti-tan suit? No, I was probably just jealous because I, I can't sport one.
1: Oh, I'm pro-tan suit. Big yeah. fan.
0: Big fan. I'm all in, but I just can't. I don't know. I look a bit weird. And specifically with a quarantine beard, I don't know if too many people are going to be looking stellar in these things.
1: No. Yeah, I'm going to come out looking like Tom Hanks from Castaway.
0: Yeah, you might. You might. And um, or Tom Hanks after Carol Baskin's virus. You know, who knows?
1: <laughs> By now.
0: Yeah, there's uh, plenty more that we'll be able to cover here in the weeks to come. Um, David, I think it's been a good program. It's been a good experiment. Yeah. We've been uh, we've been live on multiple platforms on Facebook and Twitch and uh, Periscope, YouTube. Um, a couple people have been chiming in, sending messages. which was pretty cool to see. Very awesome. Thanks to those of you that shared it. Um, if you liked it, let us know. We'll continue on. If you didn't, I, I don't want to hear from you anyway. <laughs> uh, but yes, this program will be broadcast on the Big Talker 1067 FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina, Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're listening to it on the station, you're probably wondering why I'm saying that. But it's important to note we are a, a digital um, show in quarantine, so we got to do everything we can to let our voices trail out and hit the masses, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for a great live show. Thank you to everyone who listened in. Uh, feel free to email us your thoughts and comments. If you have any potential guests you think we should have on the show uh, to interview, let us know. We'll do that. And uh, until next week.
0: Until next week, David, all the best to you guys at consumerchoiceradio.com. Find all the show notes. Subscribe to the podcast. You can find us in the Spotify. Uh, platform. You can find us on Apple Podcast, and YouTube, and all the rest. We're all over. Subscribe to our feed. Stay in touch. Let's talk and promote consumer choice. Until next week, guys. And before we let you go, we're going to do a little bit of a musical outro. This is a song called Survive by the band Late Night Special out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Their album, Halfway to Somewhere, releases today. You can uh, buy that and listen to that on latenightspecial.net. Let's enjoy.